This is the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agribusiness. If you're curious about innovations in ag tech, rural entrepreneurship, ag sustainability, or food security, this is the show for you. Let's get started. Hello and how's it going? Thanks so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter, and it's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of ag innovation, of the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of the agriculture industry. Um, I put out a tweet late in 2018, which would be last year from when this is being recorded, about hemp. Uh, I knew that there was uh, some individual states having some success with growing hemp. I did not know that it was going to be um, a month later written into the farm bill and, and signed and actually legalized on on a national level. Um, but when I put out that tweet, which would have been fall of 2018, I got an enormous response, so much so that I thought, you know what, I want to do more than just a podcast episode on hemp. I want to do a live recording maybe even with a panel where people can come and join and participate and ask their own questions. And so I did that. Uh, and if you're wondering why you, you're just hearing about this right now, uh, make sure you get on the email list. If you go to futureofag.com, I think the front and center, you'll see a chance to connect via email. Type in your email address there and you will be notified about cool stuff like that because I it went over really well, and I think I might want to do more in the future. Not about hemp necessarily, but just a live recording where you, who are going to listen anyway, uh, get a chance to actually participate in the interview if you would like to do that sort of thing. Anyway, back to hemp. Um, I'm sure you have heard, and you probably are, are just as informed, if not more informed than I am, uh, about hemp and about its many uses from CBD, which is the oil that's that's not THC, which is in marijuana, but CBD, the oil that has all sorts of um, medicinal uh, utilities to it, uh, to, to more of the industrial aspects of hemp, be, be it the grain or the fiber um, that can be used for things like building materials or, or even clothing. I wanted to find out kind of what this new um, legalization of hemp might mean for farmers and for people in the agricultural supply chain, entrepreneurial people who might want to take advantage of a new opportunity, a new crop available, and the whole agricultural supply chain that will have to develop with it. Because as you're going to hear today, um, the biggest limiting barrier to expansion of hemp acres is uh, hemp processing. And, and that's going to be an opportunity for both farmers and for um, people in agribusiness alike. Anyway, so I had this live event I called a hempinar, uh, clever wording there, and uh, brought on two experts, uh, Dr. David Williams from the University of Kentucky um, and Zev Pace, who uh, is in Colorado and has been part of the legalization of hemp in Colorado since really since day one. Um, both of them have experience both on the production side, and then uh, Zev especially has a lot of experience on sort of the uh, post-harvest processing markets, uh, that sort of side. So anyway... Um, when I was trying to break this into two podcast episodes, it became a little problematic for me. You're going to get a little inside baseball into how I do things on my end, uh, which is, you know, the, the conversation really was very fluid between the three of us. And I wanted to break it up so that this episode today would be with Zev. And then the next episode, I'll do a part two next week uh, with Dr. Williams. So forgive a little bit of uh, clunkiness on my end when I was trying to edit this, uh, because I did take out basically a whole one third of the conversation 
information in, in Dr. Williams' part, so I could save that for next week. But still some great information here. Everything from uh, the equipment involved in, in using uh, hemp, the need for certified seed when it comes to hemp, and then through more of the marketing, processing, and sort of hemp 101 stuff as well. Think you're going to love this. Here is part of the hempinar we did in January with Zev Pace of Farmers Support Group. I had to cut the part where he told us how to get a hold of him, so I'll mention it now and at the bottom of the show, uh, which is just info at farmerssupportgroup.com. Anyway, here he is, Zev Pace. Uh, I, I've been in, in the hemp space here in Colorado uh, since we made it legal in 2012. Uh, my focus was very much on trying to help get the industry off the ground because it was so new. There was nobody, nobody was doing anything, nobody knew each other. So I actually moved forward and created an organization to, uh, to help connect everybody. Uh, and that was, became the National Hemp Association in 2013. I was executive director of that through the end of 16. And then when, when the organization essentially moved to the East Coast, uh, I, I stayed here and became a consultant and a broker and started to create opportunities uh, that I saw were missing, uh, places where there was roadblocks or, or holes or opportunities in the industry that needed to be filled. So things like the hemp marketplace where farmers can, uh, can get on and, and find buyers for their products. So really just trying to help build the supply chain uh, is kind of the big picture that I focus on. Okay, well, a lot in there that I, I definitely want to get to, like the, the production capability and, and the supply and demand and kind of how, how that local uh, supply and demand gets it's sort of figured out. But but Zev, let's, let's hear from you as well. Maybe if you want to go more locally in Colorado, I know you've been looking at this nationally as well. Um, kind of give us give, give us a state of the industry and then and then we'll kind of go from there. I'm glad to. Um, uh, so much of this right now, I think everyone has to understand that we are still in the R&D stage for this entire industry. There's so many moving parts. There's so many new people moving into it. A lot of people innovating in every area. So it's very, very difficult to kind of take you can take a snapshot, but it, it changes very, very rapidly. Um, and I just to echo what uh, Dr. Williams said, uh, you know, in 2017, according to Vote Hemp, there was about 26, 27,000 acres grown of all kinds of hemp in the U.S. 2018, my estimate is going to be over 75,000, maybe even closer to 100,000, um, because a lot of people are seeing the potential of this and are jumping in. So what, what's being happening is, is bottlenecks are being created as the industry grows. Right now, uh, processing certainly is one of the bottlenecks. Uh, it depends on what you're talking about processing. You, know, you can be processing the grain for oil and, and uh, seed and protein powder. You could be processing fiber uh, and herd for other materials. That is probably the least developed uh, part of the industry right now. And again, as Dr. Williams said, the, the CBD portion is certainly the most developed. The, the, the infrastructure is there. Uh, the numbers I'm seeing are, are very similar. It, it sometimes makes me hesitate to quote some of those numbers because farmers just can barely believe it. Uh, my understanding is, is that a really good tobacco farmer uh, could net maybe $1,500 an acre uh, when the when the market was really strong. And we're seeing things, you know, as much as 10 times that. So it really does depend uh, a lot on who the person is and, and their uh, ability to to invest money, their, their risk tolerance, because it is, at, at, you know, when you get back down to it, it's all about farming. It's weather related. And I think a big, big change we're going to see this coming year is as soon as crop insurance can be officially um, added 
uh, as, a, as an, a component for large scale farmers. We'll start seeing large farmers being able to come in. Uh, you know, I talk with people who have 10, 20, 30 plus thousand acres uh, who would love to get into hemp, but they're not going to risk uh, a whole lot until they know they've got federally mandated insurance programs. Um, and those are, those are coming down the pike. I don't know exactly how quickly, but now the new farm bill will allow things like that to happen. So just many, many opportunities that are really going to allow this to, to open up. And uh, one of the areas that I focus on is CBD isolate, which is just one very straightforward, simple ingredient that's being made um, in large, larger and larger volume every month. Um, and large companies are starting to look at that. Again, they're not going to jump into it probably with both feet until the FDA specifically says exactly what they can and cannot do. And that's certainly in the work. So lots of moving parts, lots of interest, uh, a very, very large growing demand, and certainly a supply that's doing its best to keep up with it. I, I think there's probably a lot of people on here that have, have heard kind of maybe some of the numbers you're throwing out, which obviously, you know, you kind of cringe when you hear those because you know, especially the big numbers are, are likely not to be sustainable. Um, but uh, can you just, most of us probably don't know a lot about on the consumer end of, about what's really driving from the consumer side, you know, the potential demand here. Uh, Zev, could you maybe just go into a little bit more on that? I know you, you mentioned the, um, uh, the CBD isolate, I think it is, as you called. Could you just uh, talk about kind of what's uh, driving the demand when you are seeing some of these bigger numbers? Sure. And ultimately, it is going to be the end consumer that ends up driving a lot of this demand. So certainly pharmaceutical companies are beginning to do more and more research. Um, as far as I know, other than Epidiolex that GW Pharma was approved for, uh, there aren't any other actual drugs out there that are that contain CBD isolate. But I know that there's a number of, of uh industries and, and different pharmaceutical companies who are doing research on that. Certainly some of the large drink beverage companies are looking into it, everything from Coca-Cola on down. Again, they're going to probably be very careful about how they get into this industry. You know, Budweiser, the alcoholic, uh, the alcohol industry is certainly uh, looking at that. And then you move into things like uh, body care, a lot of products that are being used for topicals. Again, the FDA is going to probably end up having to have a lot, having a lot of oversight on that. Uh, but it's certainly being used in a lot of that, everything from a muscle cream. So it probably, maybe not this year, but possibly very soon, uh, you'll be able to go into a Walmart or a Walgreens or a CVS or whatever you're your, the, the business is in your area and be able to get products right off the shelf that have a, a little bit of CBD in them. Um, and then there's the whole other side. There's the building products industry. Again, it's almost all research at this point, but there's still a lot of people and a lot of companies who are beginning to investigate what's possible in terms of different kinds of building materials, some that we were very familiar with, like insulation, all the way to things like wallboard um, and precast concrete with hemp added to it. So, uh, you know, a whole lot of products like that. The, the fiber uh, portion, which is what ultimately goes into the clothing, that's probably the furthest away just because the infrastructure needed to be able to make that, those products to go from the field to the shelf is much more complicated. So it's going to be a while, I think, until we really see uh, U.S. industries jump into that. But I know that they're, again, also researching that. And something like that, uh, the, the fiber piece and, and even some of the maybe industri more industrial uses, are those byproducts of the CBD? Is it kind of like soybean crush where you crush the bean, you get the oil, and then you sell the meal? Um, is, is that kind of how it works? Not, not really. There's, there's two paths to think about. There's the CBD path 
what we what I, I jokingly refer to as kind of the, tr the Christmas tree model. And then there's the tall industrial, um, which is more like the palm tree model. And it's the, the CBD is mostly all oil and all the derivatives that come from the oil. There is leftover, uh, you know, flour after it's extracted that people are figuring out what can we do with that. There certainly is stock uh, leftover, but there's also a very, very little real uh, market there yet for, for being able to decorticate, separate out the fiber and the herd. So the CBD side is pretty much all oil and the products that come from that. And then the tall industrial version is where you would get the grain and all of the products that come from that, plus the fiber and the herd that comes because those plants are very tall and have you know quite a bit of, of stock and, and fiber and herd in them. And what is, um, I don't know if you want to say shelf life, but if I, if I want to grow hemp, uh, but I, I don't have a processor within um, 500 miles of me. Is it just, uh, is that a non-starter? Do you need one, you know, close? Obviously, freight's going to eat you up, but that point aside, um, you know, once it's it's harvested, uh, can it be stored before it's processed? The most important thing that a lot of farmers uh, didn't have experience with, unless they were a tobacco farmer, is drying the product. So what, as long as they harvest it and the weather is is suitable at that time and they're able to dry it either by hanging it or actually taking everything off the stems and then putting it through some kind of a dryer it can be stored for sure for the rest of the season up until up until next year and this past uh, fall we were certainly seeing and selling uh, product that was from the previous year I don't think it's going to necessarily uh, it, it's fine at that amount if it's stored in a cool dark dry place of course if it's not then it, the whole thing starts to degrade and just like any other kind of a live product you're going to end up with a lot of problems but for the most part uh, we are seeing summers that are going to be fairly dry I think it's going to be hard to find large amounts of material come mid to late summer certainly early fall uh, just because the demand continues to grow. And, and obviously, we've all seen the headlines about the farm bill. Uh, you know, I've seen other headlines also. I'm in Idaho. It says, don't, don't get too excited yet just because the farm bill hemp isn't necessarily legal in Idaho yet. Can you help us just maybe succinctly said, uh, is that what, what did the farm bill do um, exactly? And do you think it will create uh, more people investing in the capacity to process hemp? It, it, it's, it's definitely raising the interest level in all segments of the industry. Uh, what the farm bill really bill really did is it took the gray cloud out of if you're in a state where it has been uh, legislated that it's legal now it's both legal at the state level um, and the federal level there's a lot of details that have to kind of trickle down in order for something to to for all of the, the issues to be worked out, but it certainly takes that away. Now the states are still have to independently pass legislation to allow for the growing of hemp and whatever rules that they put into that. Sorry about that, it's a busy morning. Um, and there's de definitely a lot of people who are, um, who are looking at doing that. I know that, uh, that uh, Texas, you know, a number of the uh, number of the states are definitely focusing on legislation. Now, one thing that the Farm Bill is going to require is that that state is going to have to take their plan and submit it to the USDA. I know Kentucky's already done that. Um, I, maybe others. I think Colorado certainly is in the in the process of doing that. I don't know that it means that that plan has to be modified very much, but it certainly is a step that has to be done that wasn't done before. So it's, you know, we have to work out a lot of the details in here, but there, we are, there's a lot of movement happening forward. And I think 
there's a lot of excitement. Investment ca capital is certainly beginning to flow more and more into the industry as people start to realize the risk is notching down. I, I obviously uh, you haven't been able to get hemp on a label because of, of uh, federal regulation. Is that changed now with the farm bill? Um, are are there going to are we going to start seeing more inputs? Uh, including hemp on the label? The, it really depends on the part of the plant you're talking about because the, the stem and the stalk uh, has never been part of the Controlled Substances uh, Act, so that's never been an issue, so you could always have included that in. Um, the FDA also made a statement that uh, hemp seed oil and protein powder is now considered grass, has grass status. So that certainly is going to help more and more people uh, add that to, to products or have it be a product unto its, unto its own. When it comes to CBD and other cannabinoids, I agree with Dr. Williams, it's definitely something that is going to have to work through the system uh, quite a bit before you start seeing that. And the FDA focuses on food and, and topicals. So the, that those parts of the, of the plant are something that's going to certainly take more scrutiny. And grass being generally regarded as safe designation? Correct. Yeah, it's an FDA designation that, uh, you know, we're all saying, yeah, we thought we've known that for, for decades, but the fact that they actually stated that certainly helps the, the case and, and helps move the, uh, that part of the industry forward. Great. So if a, if a farmer is out there and, and they know it's, uh, it's legal in their state, and now with the, the farm bill, they're, they're not worried about any sort of federal regulation, where can they go? Can they, can they forward contract the stuff typically before they even plant? Or what, what are the typical situations there? One of the uh, projects that I've done that I've helped to start is called the Hemp Marketplace. And it's essentially a Craigslist style uh, platform where a seller can just put their products on there and then a buyer can contact them directly. So we're not involved with any of that. And this past year was the first time we actually saw any uh, forward-looking contracts posted on there. So I know that it has started. I know the conversations are continuing to happen. And I also know that for a lot of farmers, that's just the way that they are used to doing business. So that's certainly where we're moving toward. Um, I'm hoping that this coming year, 2019, we'll have quite a bit more uh, opportunity for farmers, especially uh, new farmers who, who don't really feel confident in it to be able to put out a contract um, and lock in a price that makes sense for both the investor or the buyer and the farmer. Uh, and uh, and it's, it's, it's something that I think we really want to, through Farmer Support Group, that's part of our commitment is to work with farmers so that when they, when they put those seeds or clones into the ground, they already know who's going to buy them. And that's really the way we want to be moving forward. And is, is there any sort of, I, I know we're still, you know, a, a young market, but is there any sort of liquidity in the market where you've got, uh, you know, hemp production like grain might be changing hands um, post-harvest? I'm not sure I understand the question. Well, just as far as, is it really just a one-to-one, -one, like a farmer selling to a processor? Or are, are there other parties involved that may bring some uh, ability to, if you overproduce or unproduce, you, you know, you're not going to get stuck with um, uh, not, not having a market well, for your the, Yeah, the, the supply chain is still very, very new. Um, and there's not a whole lot uh, a whole lot of people that are have enough experience where you you know exactly who you could sell to. It like selling to your local grain elevator. Those relationships, you know, maybe could be a hundred years old. So there's just no question about it. At this point, we're still we still do not know a lot of that. And we're, there's there are people there are intermediaries who are buying up who are going to farms and saying we'll buy everything and then they're storing it and then they're reselling it to processors. 
um, as the price changes throughout the season. Sometimes they're just betting on the fact that they can make a little more money if they can afford to store it. Um, but right now, a lot of processors are gearing up, so they're looking for, for ongoing supply to be able to keep their machinery running um, you know, ongoingly. And, and on the CBD side, I will mention that there's really two different subsets of the processing that seems to be emerging. One is the initial extraction where they're, they're buying the biomass and they're turning it into some kind of an oil. And there's a lot of different grades of that. And then the second is the post-processing where they're taking that oil and taking it into a finished product. They may be taking out the terpenes. They may be taking it all the way to isolate. So, you know, as the market begins to, to demand different products, processors are continuing to modify what they can do and also figuring out how do they scale up because a lot of this extraction equipment has existed in the marijuana industry for quite some time, but the scale is very different. So instead of being able to extract 50 pounds a day, you want to be able to extract 5,000 pounds a day. So it really does require a whole whole category of, of innovation and engineering opportunities to be able to build these equipments, both for planting and harvesting and drying and extracting and post-extracting. Okay, I, uh, Matt asked a question, kind of getting more into uh, the latter half of our conversation here, which is about kind of the cultivation of, of hemp. What are the challenges, uh, planting, harvesting, storage, et cetera? And so, um, Dr. Williams, maybe you could start us off by just at a high level, um, you know, what conditions are necessary to grow hemp? I, I doubt uh, it's, it's, you know, a, a, it's capable of performing at the same level in every state in the nation. So what, uh, what considerations need to go into that? Um, for, for most crops, Yield is really important. You want to get as much of whatever it is you're trying to do. The challenge with industrial hemp is you definitely don't ever want that THC to go above 0.3. So I know that some people, if they have really good soil and they fertilize it and they amend it and do all the stuff that a, a good farmer would normally do, then they risk the, the challenge of that THC uh, at the end of the season going above the 0.3. So they need to keep a very different kind of eye on the crop so that it doesn't uh, doesn't do that, and they may end up having to harvest a little bit earlier. So it, it's a it's an unusual element of this where there's actually a component of the plant you don't want to get too high, um, while the rest of it does go as high as possible. Very interesting. And because the THC is actually a defense mechanism for the plant, and we as humans are trying to lower that THC level, does that make hemp more susceptible to to pests and diseases than? Um, you know, than uh, cannabis, for example? I mean, that's, that is one of the main issues around monoculture in general in, in large-scale agriculture. So uh, anybody that's, that's doing cloning, and quite a few people are, there's businesses out there that that's just what they focus on, making millions of clones. Uh, we, are, we, we definitely run the risk of some kind of an issue with that. The, the bigger thing we need to do, and this is what happens in, in other industries, is creating a certified seed program where you've, you've got seeds that have gone through enough generations where you know they're stable. And, and in this case, we certainly want it to be stable to always stay below the 0.3% THC unless that changes. Um, but also so that the farmer really knows what to expect, what kind of yield so that the heights are all the same, so harvesting can happen more easily and things like that. So uh, right now, uh, there are there, there's almost no certified seed in the U.S. There's a, a couple of 
Uh, I don't know exactly where Kentucky is. I'd like to hear that. I know Colorado is in, just finished, I think, their third year and has a few different uh, cultivars that have been certified, but the volume of seed is still extremely small. So now it needs to be handed over to, to seed breeding companies who do this for a living and then be able to generate large volumes of seeds that farmers can then uh, can uh, purchase from on a reliable basis and again, know what they're getting. And that takes them out of the, the testing protocol, at least here in Colorado. So if you have certified seed, you don't have to worry about being tested by the state because they're not worried you're gonna go over. So that whole whole process takes you know a number of generations maybe they can speed it up uh, in a greenhouse environment but for the most part it's going to take a while before we really have certified seeds and some of the states that that are uh, writing legislation are saying that they need to have certified seed as the seed that's planted which which at this moment de facto means they need to import the seed from out of the country I know you both work with farmers and Zeb maybe we'll start with you because I know we're we're approaching your, your stop here um, what what other issues have have come up where a farmer you know ventures into growing hemp for the first time and they run into problems what are the most common that you see the few that I've seen most recently uh, well earlier on and, and still now some is, is is obtaining seed you know obtaining seed that they that, that they're confident they know what they're getting. Um, that's certainly easier now. We just finished our fifth year in Colorado. That's one. Um, certainly post-harvest uh, processing, and, and that mostly means space to dry it or equipment to dry it. Uh, a lot of these farmers, uh, they end up, they grow it, and then they all of a sudden realize, oh, what do I, how do I deal with this? Because you need to care, care for the plant well enough so that the components don't degrade or it doesn't mold or things like that. So, so that post, that initial post-harvest processing is certainly something that has caught a lot of farmers by surprise. Um, I think also the pricing is still, it, it's still pretty varied. So it, it, there's not, there's no standards. There is just kind of rule of thumb at this point. Um, and I think a lot of farmers are just trying to see what can they get, or they were told one thing and the results are different when they actually harvest. So uh, until we have standards, and, um, and, and kind of regulation and certification, it's still gonna be, have a kind of Wild West feel to it. I think what Dr. Williams is, in the environment he's in at the university, under the Department of Ag there, it, he's got a very controlled uh, system where he can manipulate what the, what the varieties are. So you, you've got a pretty good expectation, but I'm sure you're still being surprised all the time about what's coming out because this plant is incredibly adaptable. There's many, many different components to it. So uh, it's going to be a while before we really understand uh, what to expect. And as more and more companies start to figure out, oh, we can put this in, in this product that we never even thought of, um, uh, it's just going to continue to drive what farmers end up doing because they can see the, the markets uh, evolving. I'm glad you touched on that. Is there anything to add on the equipment side about what a farmer needs, where they're running into problems, anything to add there? The, the tall fiber, uh, fiber and grain varieties can tend to use a lot of pre-existing equipment, but it does need some modification because of what's unique with hemp. Um, the CBD side is definitely still... Uh, wide open. I've seen several harvesters that are coming on the market right now uh, that look like they're adapted from, from tobacco harvesting where it just goes along and cuts it off at the base and then takes it up and with a, some kind of a conveyor and then, and then you, you store it on a trailer. Um, it's been hand harvested for the most part up until this point and here in Colorado we grew about 9,000 acres last year, probably double that this year. 
we don't have the numbers in yet. So uh, do, hand harvesting, especially if you've got more than like 10 acres, is going to need uh, need some more technology. Certainly, the, the like I said, that the dryers exist in other industries. They're having to modify them to make it work for this industry. And then the extraction is a, is a huge, huge industry that is developing very rapidly and scaling up and finding new technologies. Uh, so, uh, you know, once you've got finished product, you can then use existing machinery to be able to package it and formulate it, uh, bottle it, things like that. So it's, it's a combination of some new technologies that are needed, adapting existing ones, and then, then using pre-existing. So, and I want to thank you very much. This, I'm actually going to have to uh, take off. I'm sending my, my daughter back to college and got to head off to the airport to go take her there. Tim, thank you for this. I'd be happy to come on again at, at a later time. Thank you to Zev Pace for being on the show and sharing your knowledge about the hemp industry with us. If you'd like to get a hold of Zev about anything he talked about here today, feel free to reach out via email. That's at info at farmers support group. That's two S's. So farmers support group.com. Thanks so much for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed that. I'm curious if you would like to join us on a future. Uh, it won't be a hempinar, but it'll be a live recording of the Future of Agriculture podcast. If there is a topic that you'd like to engage in on that level, I would love to hear from you at Tim Hammerich um, because it was kind of fun uh, to do it live. And I think it added a whole new element to uh, to the conversation, and you're going to get to hear the second half of that conversation with Dr. David Williams next week. So we'll do part two next week. Thanks so much for your support. Every time I hear something from a listener, it really means the world to me. Appreciate you listening to the show, and we'll be back with more hemp talk uh, one week from today. Have a great week. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast. If you like what you heard here today, I'd love to connect with you further. Go over to futureofag.com. That's futureofag.com. And let me know a good email address for you so we can keep in touch. Also, you'll be able to check out a ton of bonus content on the blog while you're there. Otherwise, make sure you're subscribed to the show so you can catch another fascinating ag innovator here next week. Next week.